Hello and welcome to Paleo Cinema Podcast 210. My name is Terry Frost and this time around I'm just chatting with a friend, uh, Claire McKenna, uh, a friend of mine who's also a writer, uh, decided that she was going to give me a hand when I really didn't have the wherewithal to get together a proper episode, so we're just going to talk about movies and life and politics and all sorts of other uh, things which I hope are of interest to people. Um, instead of doing the normal kind of podcast thing. So it's a little bit different this time, and I promise it's an exception, but not the rule. And um, I just thought we'd you know, have a chat, shoot the shit, and have a good time. I like Claire a lot. She's a great person. And uh, it's a bit of fun just having a talk to her. So sit back, I'll get the contact details out of the way, and we'll get the show started. Paleo Cinema Podcast appears every two weeks. It's a podcast of classic movie appreciation. The only rule we have is that the movies have to be more than 20 years old. Uh, feedback's important to podcasters, so if you'd like to leave reviews on iTunes, they'd be very welcome. You can also send voicemails or emails to feedbackpaleo at gmail.com or go to the Paleo Cinema Cafe on Facebook. You can even frame me up on Facebook as long as you're nice and civil and don't spit on the carpet. Just be aware that the podcast does have adult themes at times, so just be aware of that. Uh, anyway, I'll get on with the show now, and um, I hope you enjoy it. Hello, and welcome to Paleo Cinema Podcast 210. My name is Terry Frost, and this time around, I'm winging it. I don't have any plans. I don't have any agenda. I don't have a note in front of me, really. But what I do have is Claire McKenna sitting at the other end of Skype. And Claire, Hello, everyone. Yeah, how you doing? Um, yeah, thanks <laughs> for doing this, by the way, Claire. I really appreciate it. Um, things getting chaotic in life. I really had to kind of um, look at a quick alternative, and it turned out to be you. Yes, I happened to be on Facebook at the time and saw your appeal, and um, all the family is away, so I'm in a, a large, quiet house at the what moment. Have, what have you done to them? Oh, well, they've run away to join Grandad in their weekly dinner, so okay. I wasn't interested in weekly dinner, so I decided to come here and talk movies instead. Oh, what a good idea, because um, yeah. people might not know, but the weather outside in Melbourne... It looks like a DC Batman movie. It's cloudy and stormy <laughs> and totally shit. Yes, it's been that foot away for a couple of days now. What's going on? Where's all our nice weather? Yeah, I know. Well, you know, extreme weather events and all that kind of shit. Uh, at least mm. we're not doing as bad as Queensland. My friend Eric up in Queensland was in Early Beach when the cyclone went through. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I've been getting his uh, missus has been sending me stuff. Yeah. Eric, missus. Um, yeah. Jean, yeah. Yes, yes, that's right, yeah. yeah. So, but I've been in Adelaide for three days. It's been very nice. So, it was sunshine all the way through, and then I came back here and it rained, especially for me. Uh, you, am I allowed to ask why you were in Adelaide? Oh, it was just a family holiday. And okay. my kid loves planes, so we went to the plane museum. They've got a large hangar in Adelaide, I think Port Adelaide. They've got all the um, the F-111 and, um, yeah, the old Fokker jets. Oh, nothing used like to travel good, around. Nothing like yeah, a nothing Fokker, like yeah. Another like a good fucker. That was right. Yeah. Yes, we, um, we probably should introduce you by this stage. So tell <laughs> us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I know you write fantastic short stories, and you had a novel that was going around. Yes, I did have a novel that was going around, and so uh, it keeps popping its head up. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty much onto its. I think it's. Um, well, I'm looking for its third agent. I've been. Um, I've had two so far, and it hasn't worked out. So I'm looking for number three. And, um, yeah, you just keep on uh, keep on keeping on. Um, I'm up for 
and an Orealis. I think it might be my fourth one. I haven't won an Orealis yet, but I'm hoping that I, – I don't think this will be the year, but I'm hoping that eventually I've got some stories that might come out and I might get myself the big grand prize and have something to sit on my desk. No, that would be lovely. It took me 13 years just to get a Dittmar Award, so I'm, <laughs> I'm sympathetic to that kind of thing. Yeah, I know. You've got to pay someone off. I'm sure there's some money will change hands somewhere, and then you there's your no. Dittmar. No, what happened yes. was I had to wait till Tasmania was giving them out, and Tasmanians have been ah, the stupid yeah, people they effective. are. Yeah. Ah, I'd love to have a Tasmanian con once again. It was, I've, I haven't been to one. Yeah. Probably the only con I haven't been to yet. They, they hold them once every... 50 years or something. Yeah, it's like Brigadoon. You <laughs> only show up there once every 100 years or so, yeah. Yes, yes, and, you know, and everything. And those uh, those flowers, you know, those flowers that smell like meat, rotting meat. Yeah. They're all blooming along the streets by the same time that the Adelaide, that the uh, thylacon is on. Yeah, um, they, they really should do it. The only times I've been to Tasmania are for conventions. So basically what I've seen is Hobart Airport. Mm-hmm. And Hadley's Hotel and a fish and chip shop at Constitution Dock. That's all I've oh. seen of the whole state. Oh, you haven't seen the great big... Oh, well, let's, let me tell you. I've been to some towns and it looks like something out of Alabama. Okay. And I'm riding... Yes, we're riding around in our Volkswagen and I'm looking at uh, sheds made of asbestos and it makes up half the town is made as asbestos. And I'm wondering, mm, I'm wondering if I should be here or not. People yeah. sitting at the front, banjo playing... Yeah, Tasmania is a bit like that. It's full of cannibals and inbred people. Oh, uh, that's ex- except for the friends of mine who migrated there. And also, <laughs> I re- I've got to be careful because next time around, I've got Tansy Raina Robertson. Oh, well, podcast, she knows all about it. And she, she lives well, in Tasmania. Her, well, ask her about her asbestos house. I will. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll make a note of that. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so we're here to talk about movies mostly and mm, TV shows okay. and stuff. So we'll get back on track after the chat bit there. And okay. what have you been watching? Okay, well, last night we watched Fury starring Brad Pitt. That was the tank movie of his. Okay. So they had Brad Pitt and Shia LaBeouf and um, that guy from The Walking Dead, Shane, whose name was, who died. He was the first one. He died fairly early. And some other – and um, – some other, hey, that's got that guy, you know, those guys that turn up that you always see in movies and stuff, but you never actually get their name. So oh. that was a really interesting movie because I think it might have been um, a movie that Brad actually made after he made Inglorious Bastards. Right. So it was quite interesting for him to go back into doing a World War Two movie, I thought. Yeah, I think he's done another one too, um, or some kind of period piece movie with uh, Marion Cotillard recently, so I'm not sure... Much about Okay, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen that one, no. Yeah, so he's trying to do the old school um, kind of movie star thing where you go back to the time when movies were good and make a movie about yes. that time. And, um, and, so, and, yes, I, don't, I think there's less shirtless scenes as well, although he did take off a shirt at one stage during Fury, so that was it. But he was covered in scars, which is uh, the main thing. Oh. Okay. So, so was that makeup, or was like he, he had a rough time before no. he left Angelina? I mean, <laughs> yeah, probably, probably a bit of both. Actually, I think um, it was makeup. I think there was a, had to be a reason why our um, glorious leader had obviously, because there was a lot of scenes in there where people were being blown up in their tanks and then mm. coming out of their tanks on fire. So I think they wanted to show that he'd been on fire at some stage. Yep, so that, that was it. Yeah, that's, that's entertainment. <laughs> oh, of course it was. Oh, there were some scenes. There were some scenes there, and it made me think of um, another movie I recently just rewatched. Was just the re- um, was the first Captain America. Yeah. 
which is obviously... You're not talking about for... 1979 with Reb Brown playing Captain America, are you? No, no, actually... Or which, the uh, 1940s movie serial. No, I, I've heard about the, them and they're pretty bad, but now I'm yeah. talking about the recent Captain Americas and how they yeah. actually... Um, the whole uh, World War II uh, kind of romance that it is now, mm. it's... Um, now that everyone who's ever kind of been in it has started to die off, there's a yep. bit of a romance attached to it, and people are trying to. There's either or. There's the you know the the very romantic side of it, and then there's the real um, nitty gritty side of it, mm. which um, which lately has become you know I think is coming back more into fashion now that we're talking about Nazis and yeah. etc. Yeah, yeah. I've, got a, I've got a big disagreement with Sally at the moment about whether it's okay to punch a Nazi or not. Oh, okay. Well, I'm I'm very much in, into uh, taking. Um, if you have to take preemptive measures, then one must do that. Yeah. Well, well I figure yes. that if both of my grandfathers fought them and they're popping mm-hmm. back up, I'm allowed to at least punch the guys. Yes. Yeah. I think my dad, my granddad was shot down. I think in Normandy. I think mm. they they used to have people that fly the planes over or gliders or whatever. Okay. And I believe he was, and he got shot down, and he got he broke both his legs, and then he went AWOL. So how was and the he, English prisoner of war camp? Oh, who knows? <laughs> Don't God. worry. Yeah, no, no, he, he ran away. That went he past ran back you, didn't Holland. it? Yeah. He got an iron cross for that, did he? Oh, I'm sure he did. Okay, fair <laughs> yeah, well, well, he hated both the Germans and the English, so it didn't really matter. Well, one of my grandfathers was in the catering corps because he was like in his late 30s, early 40s, and when he... Yeah, oh, okay. And so he was in the catering corps in New Guinea, and they oh, used yes. to steal all the good food off the American trucks. Oh, like New Zealanders. Yeah, yeah, they stole all the good food. And him and this really weirdy little actor from Sydney used to steal oh, yes. the food off there. And 40 years later, Peter Finch won an Oscar. How about that? Your yeah. dad probably helped. Yeah, granddad yeah. probably helped him. Yeah, I mean, he would have starved if it wasn't for my grandfather. But, um, yeah. yeah, that's that's my brush with fame at the moment. Oh, okay, then. Yeah, so that was the big – so the, the last movie I watched was a World War Two movie, and um, what have I been watching lately? Um, well, go on, give me – tell me what's something that's been interesting. I haven't – I think uh, the last thing I saw was the Star Wars, of course. Yeah, I, have, I haven't seen that right. because of obvious reasons. I don't like it. Yes, yes, I'm a big um, one. I, I may or may not have found a copy that I didn't have to pay for. Okay, not, fair not enough. Say that. So at some stage, if I'm feeling kind of masochistic, I may look at it. Yeah, look, I found it was just um, it was it was a big fan film basically. Yeah. Somebody had a lot of money, and the, you know the ones that the uh, the Star Walking Club used to make. It wasn't mm. really if somebody gave the Star Walking Club about you know a hundred million dollars and say yeah. here make a man film. Mm. That would pretty much what Rogue One would turn out to be, but uh, it's just going to be um, a huge uh, money maker, and that's all it's going to be from now on. Yeah, it's almost yeah. kind of like it's getting to certain kinds of genres of films are getting to be like kabuki plays. You've got to stay within a format for the audience, yeah. and there are very strict guidelines on it. So it's kind of there's, there's a portion of cinema and portion of genre cinema, which is mm-hmm. kind of fossilizing into stylized um, fan service in a way. Mm. And I'm not just talking about Star Wars. There are other ones that are doing it as well. Yeah, well, the Marvel movies is one well, thing. Well, I think the Marvel movies like are diversifying a little bit. They're um, they're kind of, you know, one of them's like a caper film, another one's a spy movie, another one's yeah. a political thriller. So they're keeping the genres as loose as you can within the format. But mm-hmm. um, I think that, you know, Doctor Who being the big example on television, it's basically mm. all fan service now. There's not anything but that for Doctor Who. 
I don't think I've run out of things for Doctor Who to do. I haven't actually watched much Doctor Who since, uh, I have to say, the Tom Baker era. Mm. This is going back a while. I think after that, I've never really picked up on the new ones. I never really could get a... I never could get into it. Mm. You know, I'd seen the stories before and, um, you know, the the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and I wasn't really into that. Yeah. So it's, it's very much fan servicey, and the the thing that amazes me is the people who've got good critical minds that I know. Some of them are just totally uncritically in love with whatever Doctor Who does. They'll criticise okay. it to a small point, but they'll still think that it can do no wrong. There's a weird kind of disconnect there. Yeah, I think it's like somebody was mentioning comfort uh, on Facebook. Somebody mentioned, what's your comfort book? And I think mm. Doctor Who is the comfort movie or the comfort TV show that everyone watches, which um, I think if we're going to, if we're going to uh, diverge into TV, I have seen True Detective, mm. the first one now, and I was very impressed. Yeah, I've um, seen the first one, but I hear the second one, second season's not as good. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, from what I heard, that the first one was supposed to be Southern Gothic and the second one was supposed to be they were trying to go for a more noir sort of style, you know, that noir yeah, yeah. thing. And it, maybe it didn't work. I mean, maybe the actors weren't as strong or the story wasn't as strong or it just kind of got uh, like sophomore jinx, you know, the yeah. second movie. The second one never gets it very well. But yeah. um, I enjoyed it and I also saw a really good article recently about um, television um, – uh, titles, you know, the intro titles, mm. and it used to be with an intro title, you never really, they never really spent much money. They'd, they'd throw up a couple of actor names and that was it. Yeah. But now they're spending a lot of money on television intro titles because they really want the audience to sort of get into that, okay, now you're entering into this world and this is that, this is the medium in which you enter from the real world and then you go into, you know, the world yeah. of the, uh, of the, the television show. Yeah. So you have these great sort of, uh, TV um, entries, uh, you know, entry, uh, what would you call it? Um, introduction pilots, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in, introductory, introductory, the little song that they'll play, like yeah. they had for True Detective, they had that, mm. um, that really great song, and I, I can't remember what it was, but it was just so creepy. And, um, you know, they had uh, the Hannibal series, which I've, I've watched all of, they had a really great um, introduction there where it was all, you know, blood flowing as it was flowing over glass. Yeah. And um, even back to, I think, um, the House MD with um, Hugh Laurie. Yeah. And they had um, this really, really – I think that was one of the um, the early ones where they really started spending money and, and taking a lot of time on actually doing the, the intro credits before the show. Yeah. Uh, before then, I, all I remember is just Lost. Lost was just this – it went doing and there were those Lost – yeah, you know what I miss so, from TV shows. I've been watching a lot of this on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I think they need a good theme song. Oh not, yes, not, not, not the shit like Friends, but like old school, nineteen fifties and nineteen sixties TV show theme songs. Things that people yeah. can sing along with and, and get nostalgic about. You don't yeah. get that now because people just don't do it. It's it's a lost art, and um, it'd be really nice because I reckon people should write. If anybody out there who's musically inclined. Mm-hmm. who wants to write a theme song for a modern TV show, I will mm. play it on the podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. I'm just going, I'm just Googling at the moment. I'm Googling um, what the uh, song was for uh, True Detective. Yeah. Um, all I can remember is the word creosote. Yeah. Something about the creosote bush. 
Yeah, creosote's good because um, you put it on the bottom of fence posts, <laughs> and the and the uh, termites and bugs won't eat it. Oh, okay. Uh, it's just oh, here we go. Creosote bush, crew detective. Oh, the meaning of the opening theme song. Um, well, okay, so that was the the poison creosote they were mm-hmm. talking about. This bar from Carcosa. Oh, look. Yeah. I've got so much here, I could just sit here and just read out what I've yeah, Googled. So yeah, there's a king in yellow. There's a king in yellow references and all that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, oh, what, a, what a fantastic – it really was good. And you could sort of tell that the actors really liked uh, working with each other, mm. which I think is the second time they did it. There was one called Ed TV back in the day, Matthew McConaughey yeah. and um, Ed Harris. They were – or whatever – not Ed Harris, uh, whatever his name yeah, is. Yeah, I think Ed um, Harris uh, is in it. No, 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 not Ed Harris. It's, um, it's that other guy. He's, he was in uh, – I tell you who was in. He was what? in that movie, that thing. I'm going to tell you in okay. a minute because I'm going to get it. Give me a second. It was. <laughs> I'm going um, to do a Google. Okay. Um, yes. No. It, it was. Why am I thinking? It was that guy. It was that guy. You're to to, yeah, you're going to have to maybe just do a splice in this. Um, let me, no, no. Uh, natural-born natural born killers. Natural-born killers. Yeah, that uh, was um, yeah. Woody Harrelson. Yeah, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. They were the yeah. two. And um, they were also together in Ed TV, where they actually played brothers. Okay. That was about, oh, about 20 years ago now. Uh, Ed TV, 1999, so 18 years ago. Yes, getting yeah. close. Yeah, it's really weird. There's this um, meme going around Facebook where people are putting their favourite movie from every year they've been alive. Oh, okay, yes. And you've got all these people putting movies from the late 1990s. I go, yeah, shit, you guys are young. Facebook's yes. full of fetuses. Oh, I know, back in the day. Yeah, I mean, there were good movies and bad movies every year, but I, I don't understand the point of it apart from bragging about how young you are. Yeah, yeah. And I think also, you know, movies tend to, uh, the whole thing, uh, there's ebbs and flows. Like, mm. you really hear the um, of the, the new wave and the, the 70s when they came yeah. out from the, the big 70s revival, and then it fell into a bit of a doldrum in the 80s where everyone just pumped out the legal weapons and all that, um, you know, and there yeah. wasn't, and then they had that, that uh, when CGI came along, it really, you know, a lot of storytelling really came, exploded from that, and you got a lot more science fiction movies because you could do CGI. So people said, well, if we've got this technology, we're going to use it. Yeah. And um, so why, you know, if I've got something that can make a, a space station just as easily as I could make it in, you know, the back block of a, you know, <laughs> of a factory, you know, why don't I make a, a space station movie? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. There's something that's actually coming up. Uh, which is a new anthology TV series, which I'm looking mm. forward to. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's have a look here. Uh, it's called Dimension 404, and it's a short series oh, okay. that's coming out on Hulu. Oh, and, yes. And it looks very Twilight zone so I'm looking forward to oh, that. Oh, I, I really like those movies, the Twilight Zone. Yeah, they're just a little short sort of thing with a twist at the end. Yeah, it's a Black Mirror. It's kind of a Black Mirror-y thing, but um, yeah. Hulu, Hulu are doing it. And I think they've done like three or four episodes. Uh, I've got three episodes. Mm. Um, one's got um, Pat Oswald in it mm. and a few other people who are mostly known for TV, but it looks kind of good. And um, I'm looking forward to that. I like a good anthology TV series that, yeah. because you don't have to keep the characters around for more than one episode. Yeah. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong and there'll be consequences of it. There yeah. won't be a, a reset. There won't be a... Yeah, they, a miraculous save or anything like that. Oh, can, yeah, or a filler honest, episode, yeah. Yeah, they can tell an honest story with it. But anyway, I'll go on to what I've been watching. 
Okay. We're using a lot. I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos because Sally and I actually put up a YouTube video yesterday mm-hmm. of we decided we were going to have a competition between us. Okay. So what we decided was we would go down to Daiso, which is a Japanese shop where everything in the shop and it sells like kitchen gear and toys and everything yeah, like yeah. that is two dollars eighty. <laughs> so we went in and we were supposed to buy ten things. I actually bought nine by mistake because yeah. the tenth one was a packet of lollies I didn't like. Oh, okay. And we just had that competition that we put up on YouTube of who bought the coolest nine items for two dollars eighty at Daiso. Okay, yep. Yeah. So who I, who won? Well, the thing is, the people who go to the YouTube page mm-hmm. get to vote on it. Oh, okay. So we'll have to vote yeah. on that. Yep. So um, hey. I'll put a link in the show notes for this one, and people can go there. Um, I'm not going to say that I had the best stuff, but I did have a little toy tiger which had junk under it. it had, oh, okay. It had a dick and balls on it. Well, I think that if you looked underneath, uh, if you asked them, you could have the chop chop behind yep. the counter. I think that would be the coolest thing. Yeah, well, no, they, they <laughs> oh, actually, yeah, normally oh, toys from Australia or America or England, <laughs> they don't put genitals on toy animals. <laughs> no. In Japan, they just went with it. Yeah, this is a male tiger, and I can prove it. Yes. So that was it. We did about 17 minutes of that um, using my new camera setup, which was a bit of fun. Uh, the funny, the funniest thing, though, is when I was holding up what I bought, because of the weird way that the camera angles, every time I did it, I was covering Sal's face. Oh, dear. I don't think she was terribly um, – didn't mind too much. She was talking about having bitch face before. Yeah, she said she had resting bitch face, but I couldn't yeah. see it. Yeah. Oh, so many people have it. It's, it's, it's a curse. Yeah, well, that's it. It's something you can teach yourself yeah. not to do, or you just don't think about the federal government, and <laughs> it'll go away. Mm. Well, actually, I've got um, Internet Movie Database coming up here. Which yeah. Hopefully, will come up because we've just got a new uh, router installed in this back, the back end of the room. Yeah. So sometimes it works, and sometimes it decides it doesn't want to work. And today it is, it doesn't want to work. Okay. Yeah. So basically, um, so what I've been watching is a lot of YouTube videos, mm-hmm. and I found a 1940s black musical. Called Reap, oh, okay. called Reap Petite and Gone with Louis Jordan in it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really good. It's kind of like a bebop and 1940 stuff. All black entertainers. Everybody in the movie is black. And so I thought I'd, I'd kind of explore black cinema. Mm-hmm. And the music is fantastic. The male singers and the female singers in it are terrific. There's not a lot of dancing in there. Mm-hmm. And it runs about an hour and ten minutes. Mm-hmm. But it's in public domain. You can find it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's called Reap Petite and Gone. But gee, the music is good. Mm. Actually, yeah. talking about black cinema, I know mm. Black Panther's coming out. Probably yeah, a bit of a segue away from YouTube videos because yep. I haven't been watching that many. Yeah. And um, um, that's going to be a bit of a uh, an interesting one because it's probably the first movie that's really come out that's had uh, that much money and an all black cast. Yeah, and together. it's attached to a major franchise as well, yeah. which is kind of interesting. Um, that was that's the other news, the other movie news that happened recently. Okay. Um, Jordan Peele's movie, Get Out. Yes, I've heard about that one, um, yes. Yeah, which is a horror movie, and I'm hearing very good things from a lot of people. I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. It's the first movie with a black director to make over $100 million movies, $100 million mm-hmm. in the box office. I think it was even like it was a first for a lot of things. It was the first independent movie to make that much that yeah. much money from a from a debut, and it was just uh, 
Yeah, it was just – and it kind of came at a very uh, important time at the moment because mm. there's a lot of – there's a this is – like it's been around forever, racism and whatever, but this is the first time it's gotten a lot of major media airplay that we can actually see it now and that we're actually um, – just exposed to people being able to talk about it. They've now people have got a voice yeah. and be able to talk about it. When the previously, you know, you never did because the media was basically controlled by the three television channels, and that was it. Yeah, and and the good thing, and one of the things is to the good horror movies mm-hmm. reflect the zeitgeist. Yes, and um, this one definitely does. It goes into white supremacy and all sorts of other mm-hmm. issues like that, and yeah, that's kind of cool. Which is which is interesting because people have always been saying what what kind of uh, movies reflect the age and uh, yeah. like in the nineties we had a lot of these conspiracy movies were mm. huge yep. and then zombie movies really came out really made their mark in the in the last decade that's been which doesn't seem to be slowing down at all yeah and um, be interesting what uh, this era brings I mean I've been hearing things like cannibalism is going to be a big thing coming up. Yeah. And uh, we've already got, I think, um, what's the Santa Clarita Diet? Yeah, on, that's on Some, Netflix, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it would be interesting what kind of uh, what kind of movies start to, you know, because we're trying to reflect the age that we have at the moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the thing is that there's a lot, so many different things going on. There's social media, there's climate change, there's yes. Trump, there's everything else. Um, horror movies and even just kind of genre movies in general. Mm-hmm. have a lot to do that and old movies as well had a lot of that contemporary issues i mean there were people who were scared of communism so there were a lot yeah. of communist films in the 40s in yep. the 30s there were a lot about being broke a lot of movies were about oh, being okay. broke because of the depression yeah. mm-hmm. um and uh, the, of course there were a lot of movies around the war because both on the home front and with the soldiers mm-hmm. there was that kind of high level of uncertainty about whether someone would get back and what would happen mm. when they did so, yeah, and in the 50s, it was all about the nuclear family and threats to the nuclear family. A lot of crime films in particular mm-hmm. were about threats to, you know, the mum, the dad and the kids kind of family structure yeah. that they had mm-hmm. there. And um, those, those kind of fears were reflected in uh, a lot of cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got now I've finally come up. I've got the list of um, upcoming movies for the uh, – for the summer, or yep. it's actually for us for the winter, yeah. um, there doesn't seem to be. Um, they're very diverse. There doesn't seem to be that something coming up. I mean, there's the you got the, your Marvel movies and your space movies, yeah. and um, yeah, and there's a lot of. Um, there seem to be a lot more. Uh, well, uh, friends coming around. Friends with secrets. Can I trust this person? Etc. Mm. Etc. So well, that reflects that reflects social media and the lack of privacy and and mm. that kind of thing. So. People having secrets is a is a big issue at the moment because mm-hmm. of um, so so much of people's lives is out in the public domain now. Yeah, and that's kind of where where that kind of a trope comes from. I mean, there was a that episode of Black Mirror about how people were valued by the amount of friends and the amount of likes they had on social oh, media. Oh, okay, yeah, and that kind that, of thing. That was a thing. I think there was a score. It was called a clout score. I don't know if it's yeah. used that much anymore, but there was a there was a little moment there where you, people would actually because it was a score that you could come up with with the internet and it would it would look at your Facebook mm. and your and basically your social media footprint and it would make up a score 
as yep. opposed to how influential you are. So Justin Bieber got 10, yep. and um, the average person on the street got 1. And um, I actually did pretty well. I was heading up in 5s and 6s because really? I, had po- I had the podcast, I had, oh, okay. um, a Twitter feed. I was getting on Q&A with the Twitter feed and yep. that kind of thing, but it never actually meant anything. It was yeah. just, And also, you know, the thing is with something like a cloud score, mm-hmm. um, any racist asshole can get a high cloud score. Yes. By being by being big on social media, by having a lot of followers on Twitter and Facebook, yeah. and that kind of thing, it wasn't. It was quantity rather than quality, yeah. which is I think the reason why it didn't really work. Well, I'm interested in seeing um, what AI brings because now one thing I've just written a story, you know, with a bit of an um, artificial intelligence. Uh, yeah. Not line, but I've been reading a lot of things in the media lately about um, how artificial intelligence is about to ramp up to a new level. And you've got people like Elon Musk, who does obviously he's in the self-driving cars and yeah. all that sort of stuff. They're actually starting to be really worried about uh, artificial intelligence and yeah. what's going to what's going to happen from it. And because you basically, I was reading one thing that said that if you've got a machine and its only its only thing is to plant strawberries yeah that's all it wants to do strawberry fields forever and if somebody got in the way of planting the strawberries would he just like remove the person who was trying to do it like if somebody was trying to turn him off saying no i've got to plant more strawberries i might have to kill you yeah that's that's a worry i mean and then you get into a war between the strawberry and the rhubarb robots yeah yeah so be interested so that's interesting it'll be interesting if it comes up in um uh in movies or whatever, mm. because they've said now that even a lot of uh, like the algorithms that that control what we see on Facebook, because what we see on Facebook, our, even our feed and all the stuff mm. that gets uh, all the advertisements that get towards us, that's already been curated by some sort of you know computer algorithm as well. Yeah. So I keep seeing things, and it's like I'll be searching for uh, something like a, a certain recipe, and then suddenly all these uh, recipes turn up on my Facebook mm. feed. And yeah, well, what I do is I. Um I'll get rid of the ads off my Facebook. Yeah, well, that's yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. No, well, I've got I've got a um, some uh, add-ons and some extensions for Chrome, yeah. which mean I don't see Facebook ads. So they can put anything they like up there. They can put you know Viagra commercials, anything they like, but I'm never going to see them. I think it'd be a bit of a class divide coming up of pe- people who can do that, like you could do that, and then you've got people who have no internet savvy at all, yeah. and um, they were the ones who voted. I think a lot of the the uh, you know uh, reasons for they said one of the reasons for Trump getting in is that his uh, media managers were very good at um, targeting things like Facebook and targeted ads so they would find people that were certain were had a certain kind of um, viewpoint and they would target ads especially for that so, so if you had a viewpoint that like I really don't like lawns. Yeah. And I think the uh, the front lawn is a, oh, it's a terrible thing. Mm. They would actually make ads that would target all those people that maybe had liked a post saying, I don't like front lawns, it should be concrete. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really weird how and, it's filtered. But yeah. um, actually, that's one of the things I was talking to somebody, I forget who it was, who's got a, a total rabid conservative person on their Facebook feed because they didn't want to stay in the echo chamber. So they've got this person who's got enormously sexist, racist, right-wing political opinion. I think you know who I'm talking about. Yes, yeah. I think I, yes, yeah. yes, I know that person, yes. Yeah, so we, we won't go specific with it, but um, mm-hmm. the interesting thing there is that our mutual friend mm-hmm. has that person there just to see what the other side is doing, in a sense. 
Yeah. And to kind of not make sure they're not in a right-wing echo chamber. Well, that's exactly right. And it's, there was nothing there that was surprised. Sorry, left-wing echo chamber. Yeah. yeah, well, that's right. There was nothing there that, that the person said that surprised me in mm. a way. And, um, like, I've got like I've got a couple of people as well that I try to keep on and um, they do their thing. And there's really not – it's 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 very difficult because the stuff that comes through, you know, you can always just poke holes all the way through it, yeah. and um, it's very emotive and mm. it's very sort of um, and it appeals to the sort of sense of uh, personal justice, but it's not really, um, you know, like oh, you know, I did the right thing and these people are doing the wrong thing type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really weird. Um, that's one of the reasons why there's all this kind of resistance to facts. Yeah. And, and our power may be going out. No, no, one of my bulbs went out on my light. <laughs> oh, is it windy out there? No, it's windy out here, but it was just a light bulb glowing out. Okay. Glowing out, so it's all good. Um, yeah, uh, that's that's the weird thing about it. The reason that these people are becoming fact-resistant is if you present certain people with certain opinions with objective facts and yeah, not biased ones, mutually agreed facts, and they disagree with what that person believes – that person will ignore the fact. Mm-hmm. And we're getting all of this. That's one of the reasons why um, Kellyanne Conway and people like that were talking about alternative facts. Mm-hmm. Because reality, unfortunately for some people, has a left-wing bias. You know, mm. the, the, fact, the simple fact that if you're kind to people, people will be kind to you. Yes. Whereas if you defend yourself against people you think might be a problem for you, Mm-hmm. then they become antagonistic towards you because you're blocking them out. Those mm-hmm. kind of facts are well-documented, well-known, but there are people who really have a problem with that, and um, mm-hmm. th- that's going to be the big fight. It's not going to be us versus AI. Mm-hmm. It's going to be people who are encouraged by various instrumentalities mm-hmm. to kind of not believe facts versus people who will who are more reasoned and acknowledge things that go contrary to their viewpoint and change their viewpoint based on new information versus people who um, don't believe what they're told even if they they can look it up for themselves and make their own decisions about it mm-hmm. rather than doing that they will simply not believe it because it goes contrary to their worldview and it's a bit like the Pauline Hansen thing with um, Muslims. Pauline Hansen doesn't believe that for a second that Muslim people are taking over the country. Mm-hmm. She didn't believe Aboriginal people were taking over the country. She didn't believe Asian people were taking over the country two decades ago. Mm-hmm. What she believes in is whatever gives her power. And she will she will kind of echo chamber people's prejudices in order to maintain her position in society and, and in politics. Mm-hmm. It's interesting um, that there was an interesting article that said something like this, what you were saying now, and there was a comfort in somebody coming along and, it's, and uh, basically agreeing with everything that she thought. Like mm-hmm. we all, everyone has sort of thoughts in their mind, thinking, oh, well, that's just stupid, you really shouldn't think about it. But if somebody comes along and agree, agrees with your most lizard brain thought, uh, it's almost like saying, well, agreeing with you and making mm. you feel like a good people and people will go and hunt down that good feeling that good feeling of being agreed with and so you know they'll they'll start if they, they have something that it doesn't feel good like they'll look at it and they say oh look the reason that 
you're you're in, you're poor is because you've been god bothering and stopping evol- uh, evolution science in schools, and that's why everything's stuffed. Mm. Um, and then you think, oh, that doesn't feel too good, and then you've got somebody else saying, oh, no, no, it's like this because you know there's all these. Uh, uh, Muslims coming over and taking over your schools, that's why you haven't got a job. Hmm. And they think, oh, yeah, no, that sounds that sounds more reasonable. And yeah, and, I mean, yeah, but for me, I mean, looking at it from a personal point of view, yeah. when I stopped being scared of things mm-hmm. is when I started learning. And too much, I think, of what happens in society is based on fear. People mm-hmm. are scared they won't have a home, which is a reasonable fear. It's a perfectly mm-hmm. reasonable fear to have. Mm-hmm. But it's played up by certain people and used for political advantage by certain people. And when I kind of learned, when there were times in my life, various times, when everything I was scared of happened. Mm-hmm. And I got through it. Yeah. That, that's the thing. When you stop being scared and you go, okay, you know, I've got to live my life the best way I can because it's the only game in town. And I'm, I'm just going to stop being scared of things. I think that's where the uh, the zombie movie might come in, especially you've got um, – because in all of them, it in the early ones, they would end with, oh, no, everyone's dead. Like mm. I just remember the um, the most recent um, Romero. Yeah. Like he did a very recent one, and it was just like they, they jumped on the boat and they went to the island, and by the time they got there, it was just zombies, zombies everywhere. Mm. But recently, the zombie movies, like another Brad Pitt one, which was World War Z, yeah. uh, ended on a really positive note. Um, uh, even The Walking Dead, which is the, like the highest-rated television show in America at the moment, mm. even that tends to end on part where the zombies, they're just um, – like that was the worst thing. Oh, my God, it's the zombies. That's the worst thing. And that was all about up for about two seasons. And then afterwards now, they become background – they're just background problems. Mm-hmm. You know, the main problems are other people. I don't know if you watch the movie or not, the show yeah. or not. But the main problems now are basically other people. And yeah. so they'll be dealing with it. And um, the zombies are just like the weather. You know, you'll be sitting around wandering around and they'll be having a conversation and the zombie will come out and then they'll stab the zombie and keep going um, and just keep having the conversation. It just means yeah. nothing to them. And I think now there's, um, there's a big move to have heroic stories where – Bad stuff happens and people just get over it and they just keep mm. keep on keeping on. Well, the last Martian Driving podcast I did, Train to Busan, the South Korean zombie movie. Yeah, yeah. Which is fantastic because the zombie, the arc of the zombie movie is that a man finds his best self mm-hmm. defending his family and other people from a zombie attack on a train, a bullet mm-hmm. train in, in South Korea. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting arc too. There's not the fact that the zombie apocalypse happens, mm-hmm. but the fact that a corporate business type mm-hmm. actually finds his best self as yes. a result of that, which mm-hmm. is really kind of cool. And South, you know, South Korea came at it from a different angle than everybody else would. If yes. it was done as an American film, it'd all be gung ho, macho mm-hmm. bullshit. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about Train to Busan is. They do it with suspense as much as they do it with action. Mm-hmm. So um, suspense is so underrated in American cinema these days. That kind of slow, creeping dread and, oh, shit, what's going to happen now kind of stuff. Mm. There doesn't seem time for that because it's all about the spectacle and all about the action, where the action is definitely a part of it in a good movie, but the suspense part is the part that scares the fuck out of people. It's not the, the horror and the dismemberment. 
it's the anticipation and the way that a really good movie maker like Hitchcock or someone like that mm. builds that suspense and gives you a perfectly logical reason for things to happen. I mean, the only movie that's done that really well in American cinema over the last 10 years or so was Inglorious Bastards with that first scene in the cottage. Oh, yes. Yeah, and yeah. that's all done with dialogue. Uh, the suspense is all done with dialogue with a little mm -hmm. bit of action, a little bit of cross-cutting. Mm -hmm. But the tension's built up with the skill of the actors and the skill of the writer. And that's yeah. something that so many American movies really lack these days because I don't know whether it doesn't play well to audiences or what, but it just doesn't seem to happen anymore. I think like Tarantino is the comes from the old uh, – he's a big fanboy of movies. He was just – like I've read a few Tarantino books about um, Tarantino and the whole – and that sort of era at the time in, in the 90s when a lot of people like Steve, Steven Soderbergh and, yeah. um, you know, Robert uh, Rodriguez. Yeah. They were all coming up and they were just really just filming with either they were like early digital or they were filming um, with uh, – they just had $7,000 and they were just going to make a movie. So they went ahead and made a movie and mm. um, it was just, just a lot of indie distributors because they were, people were really looking for something different. And, um, and I think they, they did that, I think, as well. Maybe they just didn't have a budget for – yeah. To blow things up, they had to say, look, we've just got to, you know, utilise some other element of story. Yeah. I mean, I, I did see an article, I can't remember where it was, where they said there's two kinds of movie makers in Hollywood. You know, mm -hmm. The ones who are really knowledgeable about the deal and about the technology, mm -hmm. and there are the people who are old school film buffs. Mm -hmm. And even if they're not going to make perfect films and, and films that are crazily popular and things mm -hmm. like that, there's a whole – and actors in particular. There are a lot of mm -hmm. actors who do this as well. Mm -hmm. They are crazily in love with old movies mm -hmm. because it's the history of their culture in a sense. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I once met um, Kevin Spacey back okay. before he was big, just before he won an Oscar. He came out mm -hmm. to Australia, mm -hmm. and he was directing a movie called Albino Alligator. And he was going. He went to a press conference as a director, and I met him at a press conference. There were ten people at a press conference with Kevin Spacey. <laughs> this is this is like nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety nine. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he said something that really stayed with me ever since. Every time I think about movies, mm -hmm. and he said every other art form has an enormous history. Painting has an enormous history. Music has an enormous history. Theatre has a fantastically long history as well. But cinema, as an art form, mm -hmm. has about 130 years. Mm -hmm. And they're still learning how to do it. They're still learning the vocabulary. They're still learning the way it should be, all of the skills. And it's working at an accelerated rate, of course. Yes. But it's still a relatively young art form. And the kind of ultimate shape of it hasn't happened yet. Well, it's interesting you're talking about the vocabulary of it. I was reading about Speed Racer, mm -hmm. that movie that the, the Wachowskis did, yeah. um, probably their last big movie before they really turned around and said, no money for you. Yeah. Or maybe they did uh, They did another one. Jupiter uh, Rising, yeah. Yeah, Jupiter Rising. Actually, actually, that might have been their no money for you. But I know yeah. that they did Speed Racer and it, and it bombed quite terribly. And, um, uh, and, and somebody went through it and said, There's, it's not – a bad movie, but it's just that the, the language they used in that particular movie, that the language of um, where you set up your camera and you have your yeah. camera and the backgrounds, you know, was so different from anything that had been filmed before that people were watching it and they didn't really understand it. 
Yeah. But as yeah. if you yeah, as if you showed the Matrix, if you showed the Matrix to a nineteen thirties audience, they would have just gone, Wow, what the fuck? You know, this wouldn't just made any sense. And to be honest with you, you show it to a two thousand seventeen audience and all the flaws appear. Yeah, it, yeah. It's um it, I mean, I was one of the few people who wasn't really in love with it at the time. Yeah. Because I think that yeah, it was style, but not much substance. We yes. don't know anything about Neo as a human being. We don't know much about the other characters as human beings. They're mm. all there in this kind of elaborate computer game world. Yeah. And I find that kind of alienating. Um, visually, yeah, visually it's a magnificent film mm-hmm. from that sense. But from the sense of any kind of movie making where you, you, know, you want to invest in the characters, does anybody really care about Neo as a character? I think, you know, I've actually seen, because Will Smith was supposed to be that character, and somebody has put together a a film, like a trailer, and they've taken all the Will Smith, they've gone through all his movies, and they've taken out bits, and they've replaced Will Smith Mm. over over the top of uh, Keanu Reeves in it. And I think Will Smith brings his own character to it, so I think really, because... Because Will, he, he's got so much baggage. He's got like the Fresh Prince baggage and yeah. and other stuff. So he's just generally this sort of likable everyman, which he's already always is. While Neo, well, not I mean, the Keanu Reeves is always played. There's always been something element of it, something exotic about it. Like if he was a spaceman, yeah. he'd be it. Whereas yeah. um, Will Smith would be more of a. Um, he's just like a regular guy, and you could you could uh, probably. It would have been different. I think people were, might have either warmed to him a lot more. I mean, it didn't hurt the film that it was Keanu Reeves doing it because obviously yeah. he seemed – he kind of came across as like you know, semi-on-the-spectrum um, yeah. nerd who kind of – who finds out that he's, he is the chosen one. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was rather upset about the, um, the two sequels mm. that came up afterwards. They were so rushed. I mean, obviously the first Matrix had really been a little in self-enclosed piece of narrative. It really wasn't supposed to go anywhere because it had a beginning, a middle, and the end. And then suddenly, all of a sudden, you've got these other two where they have to – they had to bring on this, this, you know, this great big story, and it had characters there which, if you were really thinking about a trilogy, should have been introduced in the first act. Yeah. And um, but instead they come up in the second act, and they lost like a few, a couple of actors left, so they lost continuity, you know, things like that. So it just uh, the movie, the last two movies, were just didn't make any sense at all. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where yeah, it was really good for the Australian film industry because a lot of people made yeah. a lot of money for it locally. Mm-hmm. But it really, there's a certain emptiness about it. Style versus more than substance, I think. Yeah. Like the last, yeah, the second one where they, all they did was pursue the the fights. Like there was mm. no, there was no narrative in there. There was, like they'd go, okay, well, I'm going to go and meet the Oracle. And then they'd go go to the Oracle and they'd have a bit of a fight first. Said, Mm. oh, I only wanted to fight you to make sure it was you. Yeah. So there was no reason for them to have a punch on. They could have just said, you know, (laughs) let's see your driver's license or. You know, like that. Yeah, they could have come up with something else. I've got a question. Um, yep. This is one of the questions that I thought when we decided we we're going to do this. Yes. Um, what do you think old movies did better than new movies? And what do you think new movies do better than old movies did? You oh, can answer first, yeah. then I'll answer. Well, I think that um, old movies, they had real iconic characters. Hmm. Like, they weren't throwaway characters. I can't really think of anything. Like, you're thinking of Jurassic Parks now and everything. You can't really think about an iconic character who you could really say, look, this character really encapsulated the whole thing. Hmm. But I think new movies, 
I think new movies now they um apart from visually is apart is is very good. But yeah. I think new movies are also especially Hollywood and mainstream, they're also more aware of the tropes such as um which is like between gender and um and race. I mean, they still stuff up completely, but occasionally you'll see something said, oh, okay, I can see that they're, they're at least trying to sort of make a nod towards it. Like they wouldn't have an all white cast. I mean, if yeah. you had an all white, people sometimes do and they, and you wonder how it gets through. Mm. And, um, because now, because every, every time they've either whitewashed or just done some all white casting, it's not really worked and they've, they're working out that, you know, if they have a bit of a diverse cast, it actually makes more money. Yeah. So I think that's what they, they're starting to come up it's it's a bit on and off, but that's the new movies I quite like now. Okay, yeah, well, for me basically it's old character actors. I mean, I'm in love yeah. with so many old character actors yeah. who you know plied their trade on the stage and on the screen mm-hmm. for thirty or forty years and just nailed everything they touched. I mean, that's that's one of the things I love in old movies. Mm-hmm. Like Walter Brennan played lots of cantankerous old bastards in <laughs> old movies, and he'd go up to the director and say what kind of acting do you want this time? And the director would go, what do you mean? He goes, well, do you want my teeth in or do you want my teeth out? <laughs> because he, he, yeah. either play, he could play very sophisticated. He was actually a stockbroker yeah. before he was an actor. So he could play sophisticated characters and he could play old curmudgeons in westerns and things like that. So he had two forms of acting. And he won Oscars for the, for the quality of his acting because he mm. did it so well. Philip Seymour Hoffman was a lot like that. He was one of the very few hmm. sort of character actor. He was just, hey, that guy, he was just into everything before he became famous. We yeah, just the good, thing, good thing is, if you see him in Boogie Nights, Philip mm-hmm. Seymour Hoffman, mm-hmm. he's playing like a closeted nerd. Yes. And then you see him in The Talented Mr. Ripley, mm-hmm. and he's playing an upper-class bastard. Yes. And he did them both really well, even though physically he was a pudgy kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he had the, his issues with um, medications and things. Yep. But the skill was was definitely there, and he could do that diversity of roles. Mm-hmm. And the thing that new movies do well is, yeah, the diversity thing. Um, accurate ethnic casting is something that's going to be really big in the next five or ten years. Yes. You won't be able to have a um, whitewashed cast in the future because it's just not playing to the audience very well. No. And it means that you've got such a, a talented pool of actors of colour and of different ethnicities and, and even different countries. Mm-hmm who um, can do a, a tremendous job of it but aren't given the opportunity. I mean, Iron Fist is a big one because I watched all of Iron Fist. Ah, uh, yes, yes. And they could have, even though Danny Rand, the character, way back in the comics, which I read mm-hmm. when they came out in the 70s, was a blonde white guy. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, there was one of the actors who played the <laughs> drunken master character and yes. he did the drunken fighting, who was up for the role of Danny Rand. And he could have played it because he was um, half Asian mm-hmm. and one of his parents was um, Anglo. Mm-hmm. He had the skills with the um, martial arts mm-hmm. and he was a damn fine actor. He had ten times the charisma of Finn Jones yes. in those scenes that he was in. But they wouldn't step outside that and go, okay, well, what we're going to do is a little bit of reverse whitewashing here mm-hmm. and make the character kind of biracial. Yes. 
and play like that because this guy's got the chops to do it. Because there would have been so many stories that would have come out of it. Like, you know, they said, oh, he's biracial, but he's been raised completely American. So yeah. he's obviously – so there would be so much where he's come back. So it was more like a rediscovery of his, of his you know, skill yeah. set rather sure. than him coming back. And it was completely uh, – yeah, the same thing. The white guy comes in and he suddenly learns everything better than anyone else. Yeah. Because he is like <laughs> he is the Quisatch Hadarak or yeah, you know the Jesus idea. wannabe, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I haven't seen that. I have actually seen. I watched Jessica Jones, which was great, and I watched. Yep. Um, I haven't watched Daredevil, but I'm I'm told it's good. Mm. And I watched Nick Cage, Luke Cage, sorry, which yep. was excellent. And it was actually funny because all those you got a, a like a, a a woman, you've got a disabled uh, man, and you've got um like a, a man of a color man in color, that one. Yeah. Yeah. And Iron Fist was the last one, and he was the like the only he was the white guy, mm. and so it was interesting. Like they should have had some stage. I said, okay, well he's the like, the only white guy. They've got to subvert this in some sort of way. I mean, well, how is he? He's not the only white guy because Daredevil's white. Yeah, yeah, but Devil, yeah. he's um yeah. he's disabled. So there's a big thing about dis- you know. So yeah. he's a marginalised character in some sort of way because he hasn't got because he does he's disabled, of course. Yeah. So there's there's that. So he you know he he fits into the marginalised you know non able bodied um, heterosexual white guy, and they're saying how would you have you know subverted that? And it's like you could have done that where he grows up and they had a character come back and he was completely Asian, even yeah. though he was white. Yeah. And they're probably, you know, you'd have to find someone who could carry that off. Wouldn't have been, it would have been a stronger actor than Finn Jones, or yeah. you know, even the, you know, the original actor that was going that you were talking about before. Yeah. But um, they didn't, and um, apparently, you know, I I really couldn't find the. Uh, there was so much bad press about it, I couldn't find the the get up and go to watch it. Yeah. Uh, no, well, I always binge the Netflix Marvel things just as yeah. a, as a bit of an event TV yeah. watch kind of thing. Yeah. Like the but, Mandarin, the Ma- yeah. in, um, in Iron Man 2, the Mandarin yeah. character, everyone was a bit worried about how that would come off, but mm. um, Ben Kingsley did it, but the way they subverted it where he turned around and he goes, oh, it's just movie magic, love, I'm an actor. Yeah. You know? And so in that case, it just subverted the whole idea of the, the bad uh, oriental terrorist, Yeah. which they didn't manage to do. Yeah, they got Ben Kingsley, even though he wasn't kind of ethnically accurate, he was yeah. of southern... Asian origin rather than yeah. Eastern Asian origin. Yeah, and and didn't and didn't come across as because I think people were worried about oh the Mandarin's going to be this whole the mm. Oriental stereotype of the of the terrorist and that he yeah. just turned it all on his head. He said no, no, it's actually I'm just being paid by some dude to yeah. do all this. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, before we go any further, mm-hmm. the actor who played the drunken master in Iron Fist, his name's Lewis Tan. Oh yes, yes, I've heard that. Yeah, yep. and um, yeah, he's actually born in Manchester in England. How about that? So, so he's an English actor as well. But um, if you have a look at his IMDb page for Lewis L E W I S Tan, um, you can see the guy, and the guy's got like the charisma there. He's got a history of doing good things in in TV, so he's got you know, acting chops. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I think he would have made a fantastic uh, Danny Rand. I think I saw him, yeah. I saw it. Um, uh, there might have been a, a YouTube clip where they had, you know, possible actors, and a lot of people were pushing for him. Yeah. And um, I saw him do a bit of, he did a little bit of, and he could really fight. I mean, it wasn't yeah. pretend. You no. could look at that and go, wow. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he would have been fantastic at this sort of thing. And yeah, that it was really interesting too because there was another discussion on social media about whitewashing and about racism in movies and things like that. And one of the things I came up with was. I can still like Breakfast at Tiffany's, even though I really don't like Mickey Rooney playing Japanese guy in Breakfast mm. at Tiffany's. We, um, I, I, one of the things I keep fighting with, every time I do the podcast about an old movie and there's something racist or sexist or overwhelmingly wrong mm. in a classic film, I always come up against that thing of, I'll acknowledge it, I'll acknowledge what was wrong in it, Yes. I'll acknowledge the racist or the sexist thing in it, but then I'll talk about the movie in other contexts mm-hmm. while... Not just giving lip service to it, but actively acknowledging the things that um, that were wrong then and remain to be wrong now. That was uh, Robin Penn, I think he was posting something yeah, about was, Ghost yeah. in the Shell. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it. Um, I only watched the anime uh, years ago when it first came out, bits and pieces mm. of it, and... And I would have been interested to see if how they could have subverted subverted that, you know, at least yeah. sort of acknowledge that yes, um, Scarlett Johansson is playing it and have some sort of something in the um, the the narrative somewhere where the reasons why she isn't Japanese is X. Well, they, yeah, well, they they actually do that from what I understand. Do they? Yeah. By saying that the brain that they put into the Scarlett Johansson body. Mm-hmm. Was a Japanese woman, but that oh, okay, then, yeah, but that then brings its own baggage and its own wrongness as well. Yeah, yeah. In that, well, why didn't you make the body Japanese? It was <laughs> because it was Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. So there are all of those kind of issues, and, and yeah, yeah that, that, that all of that I can. And the, yeah, and the realities of filmmaking. I know that um, either it was Robin or someone mentioned that. Um, they, they needed $100 million to make that film. And yeah. somebody else was, had, there was an article about why the film was the film didn't work and it had yeah. nothing to do with Charlotte Johansson. The reason is because it was the amount of money that was spent was on an intellectual property that was a sequel. Now, this intellectual property, Ghost in the Shell, wasn't really known well outside of um, anime circles, really. Yeah. So, yeah. and there was some, visibility, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they were spending all this money on a movie that should have been maybe um, maybe sixty to eighty thousand dollars on it, or a million dollars, um, yeah, 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 rather a million dollars, sorry, and then rather than a hundred, because I think there's a stage, a hundred million dollars is a sequel, is a sequel movie, or yep. if it's a really well known, like even uh, the first Transformers movie uh, wasn't there wasn't that much, and it's the best one and the only one of the um, five now that's any good. Mm. Um, and it was because they didn't have a lot of money to spend on all the transformations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there was a lot of funny character work. There was some yes. shortcuts there. Um, everything was really uh, Tight. planned. Yeah. It was. It was planned really well. And now we've got it where there's, you know, they'll sink two hundred million dollars million dollars into it because they know they'll make a billion back. And mm. you'll just have these fights, fight scenes that'll go on and on and on and really add nothing. And you know, I'm a big Transformers fan. I'm just sitting here. I've got so many. Um, figurines and, and mm. uh, comics and everything. So uh, I kind of took it, took it very personally when the movie started going bad. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I can definitely understand why. I mean, I, I watched the anime recently because I did it for Martian Drive and I did yes, Akira yes. and I did um, the original Ghost in the Shell. Mm-hmm. And both of them hold up well, mainly because you do invest in the characters to a certain extent and the visu- they're visually exciting and visually imaginative transferring manga to anime mm. 
was not a trivial task in those days. So there was a little bit of computer-generated stuff, but most of it was hand-drawn animation. Mm. And you're putting across very complex concepts at times, mm. totally visually, and it was done in- incredibly well, and it didn't need to be made as a live-action film. The only re- I mean, sequels, remakes are always problematic. There's only a, maybe a half a dozen that were any good. Um, in real life, things like um, The Maltese Falcon was a remake. Mm-hmm. Um, the Magnificent Seven was a remake of Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are those kind of ones where it does work. And, of course, Barbed Wire was a remake of Casablanca. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Oh, no. But unacknowledged remake. But anyway, um, my point is with that is that they didn't really need to do it, and the only reason to do it was purely for the money. It wasn't a story that they wanted to tell because the stories one we've seen since in different movies. And they didn't really need to do it, but because somebody somewhere liked the original Ghost in the Shell anime, Mm -hmm. they decided, yes, we can make money out of this and yes, we can do it and we will get it a bigger audience and make lots of money by doing it, where what they should have done was spent less money, found something original Mm-hmm. Yeah, adapt uh, uh, one of your short stories in all movies. Ah, yes. Well, I heard. I would see. I would go to see that because I've read yeah. your stuff. Oh, thank you, thank you. You know what though? I've heard that um, James Cameron, who's currently doing apparently four Avatar movies in a row. Yeah, because everybody really is aching for those. <laughs> well, he was apparently um, signed on. His other big project that he was going to do if, if Avatar really tanked was mm. Battle Angel Alita, I think, yep. which is very much in that sort of uh, Ghost in the Shells kind of yeah. anime. And um, I've noticed that if somebody says that they're going to greenlight a film, like I'm going to greenlight a film about volcanoes, there'll always be somebody else who says, shit, somebody's greenlighted a volcano film, and they'll run through all their scripts and find the volcano script, and they will rush that through like super fast. And so yeah. you things have things like um, for that thing, they had Volcano, I think, was the larger one. Remember Volcano and Dante's yeah. Peak came out? Yeah. Dante's Peak was obviously the, the shitty crapper version, but that came out first. Because yeah. obviously they'd heard that, that, that uh, Tommy Lee Jones and a Volcano movie was coming out, and it's quickly, oh, my God, we better get this done. Yeah. I actually talked about that um, when I was talking about suspense, saying that the good thing about Volcano is there's one scene that's really suspenseful, which mm-hmm. is when the guy goes back into the train that's getting lava pouring underneath it yeah. to rescue someone. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where one of the minor characters does that. Mm-hmm. and has to sacrifice himself to save somebody else. And it's fantastically tight and suspenseful. And the acting is just so on point mm-hmm. that it conveys the horror and the, and the um, choice this guy's got to make, whether he rescues the unconscious person or rescues or saves himself, mm-hmm. that it, it just works really well. And it's the one moment in that movie that lifts it into something else. Yeah, I'm, I can remember that one, yes. Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, is if you want, there's a movie that's coming out that's going to get no love at all, mm-hmm. but it's going to be very visually exciting as a science fiction film, mm-hmm. and that's Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Ah, oh, yes. Luc Besson adaptation of a French comic. That's from the Luc Besson, is it? Yeah, it is Luc Besson, yeah. Yes, yes. Because I remember when um, Fifth Element came out, I think everyone, like now, I, lo- I just love it. I just think it's the funniest movie ever. It is. It's but, great fun. Yeah. But at the time when it came out, 
I didn't even know how to react to it. I'm thinking, is this supposed to be serious? Is it supposed to be funny? It was just, mm. it was like we were talking before about the cinema language. It just didn't, there was nothing I could really sort of, you know, understand with it. Of course, now you just see the whole thing is just being, um, because it's, it's, it's been immortalized in memes and it's been immortalized in, um, you know, the, the blue lady who sings a song and. Yeah. And I've actually everything. got the pop vinyl figure for the, uh, Diva Palava Lagoon. Yeah, that's it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can say the whole word. Yep. Yeah. But, but uh, I like Luke Besson as a director. I think um, he's done a lot of things that are a lot of fun. He's also produced a lot of interesting French cinema. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's the best director or producer in the world, but the stuff he does is always intriguing, if worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... Yeah. Um, but I'm looking forward to that one. I'm actually going to see that one when it comes out, if it gets any kind of release here in Australia. Yeah, I think it's it, it's it's skewing like my it's skewing very much into the Jupiter Jupiter rising or what's Jupiter, Jupiter ascending? Is it? Oh, yeah. one of the yeah. yeah. I think Jupiter ascending was probably only looked like it was going to they they wanted to get a sequel out of it. They were really so desperate for it. They had this huge world made up, and then mm. there was somebody uh, did this. Um, 20 Things Wrong with Jupiter Ascending, and mm. uh, it was a laugh, but it was kind of true, all the stuff. They, they really – there were a lot of mistakes that were made in it, I think, in terms yeah. of um, narrative and um, maybe even a bit of casting and – Yeah, uh, absolutely. But yeah. this one this one does look like a lot of fun. And oh, okay. I then. think, I think uh, any look on science fiction movie set in the future, I'm yeah. going to see because it's going to be – I've seen the trailer. Yep. And it looks really interesting stuff because um, I do like Besson's work. And um, I also like stepping out of Anglophone, English, American, yeah, Australian yeah. cinema mm-hmm. and um, and seeing things that aren't that. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, um, oh, hang on, give me a sec. Eat something. I had to hit my cough button. <laughs> um, yeah, the other thing is old cinemas. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm Kind of going back with my love of the old cinemas. Mm-hmm. Um, you grew up more when there were multiplexes rather than single screens because you're a little yeah. bit younger than me. Yes, yes. So, what are the things you remember about going to the cinema when you were young that don't happen anymore? Oh well, I remember when we lived in Perth. We actually to watch anything. They still drag out the old projector, and the um, the school would put it on. They would hold. Um, Movie night, or movie days during the yeah. holidays, and the school would put up a great big sheet, and yeah. they would project it onto a sheet, and okay. um, yeah, and so what do we see? Oh, there, you know, there's this Peach Dragon and other sort of <laughs> uh, nonsense like that. Tron, I actually yep. saw Tron reflected on a bed sheet in some basketball sta- basketball court in a shitty little um, cinema. Cool. And um, yeah, a lot of things we saw, and um, it came on video. Gremlins, mm. I remember seeing on video around about the same time. But if you ever wanted to see a movie, uh, you still have to just jump get somewhere because they weren't they weren't as plentiful um, as they are now. Mm. You know, attached because they think they're attached to shopping malls. They're kind of like the big thing. Yep. So you just generally had to jump onto a bus and you had to go into the city, and it would be still a big thing, even though mm. it was a multiplex, to go and see a film. Yep. So you'd go in there and you'd have you'd have um, yeah so you'd go in and you'd have a tea bars Tuesdays and you'd go and see Supergirl or Ghostbusters yep. or Return of the Jedi and big things like that 
and then yeah, and that was that was at a time too when not everything was available on video. I mean, for me, no. if you wanted to see a movie, you had to like get your ass into a cinema seat. Yes, yes. When I was a kid, I remember traveling literally sixty kilometers because one movie was showing in one cinema in the posh part of Sydney. So I'd yeah. take a train in from Liverpool into Sydney, which is mm-hmm. thirty kilometers. Mm-hmm. Then I'd take a bus another fifteen or sixteen kilometers to go to the Rose Bay Winter Garden. Uh huh to see the final program because it was the only place you could see it. Well, around about the 90s, I think in the 80s and the 90s, just before, I think the video had come out, but people mm. still wanted to see, if you wanted to see something really good, you would have to go and um, and you'd have uh, movie theatres which would just play repeat cinema. And that was things yeah. like the Astor, yeah. Valhalla Cinema. Yeah. Um, they were the, Valhalla, I think, was in Abbotsford or one of these places. Yeah, they had one in Sydney as well when I was there. Yeah, it was great to go there. Yeah, you'd have 24-hour science fiction movies. There'd be movies there that you wouldn't even see in a video shop, like, um, oh, what was that one? Buckaroo Bonsai. And, yeah. And they'd, they'd show those oldie, those old one, the old rollerball and mm. all the old classics. Yeah, I did the 24-hour cinema thing at the um, at the Valhalla. There was a problem, though. You, you wanted to take the 24-hour cinema thing that was at Valhalla in the wintertime. Because um, in the summertime, you get so many people who didn't wash oh, <laughs> for days beforehand in some cases mm. that the experience was incredibly stinky. Oh, the things you'd go through. And the chairs were awful. They the were really little. Were oh, the sh- <laughs> they, they weren't high-back chairs. They, went to, they ended up about halfway up your back, and that was it. Yeah, so basically there, there were a few problems with that. And, and there were people where you just go, get the fuck out of here and have a shower. Oh, I know. I just remember that the when I was in university, I had a huge um, essay I had to hand in. So I woke up one Wednesday and I just spent two full days, like 24-hour days, I didn't sleep, getting this essay finished. And I got um, high distinction for it, even though there were actual extra pages from other essays in it. And... <laughs> You know, it was supposed to be an essay about the high-tech industry, and for some reason some of my biology notes ended up in there, so there were cross-sections of kidneys and all sorts of weird shit in there. But um, I got a high distinction for it, even though it was, you know, what's a kidney doing in that essay? Mm. But I ended up, after it was finished on the the Saturday night, on the Friday night, I ended up going straight there to Abbotsford because they just started doing the 24-hour And I just remember I didn't – around about Saturday night, I'd been Mm. awake for about 72 hours by that stage. Uh, I'd never seen Demolition Man, and the Demolition Man credits came up and said, oh, I'm going to see this. I'll just close my eyes for a second. And Mm. when I opened them, the credits were rolling. Look, you never missed a thing. (laughs) I slept all the way through Demolition Man. Yeah. I actually went to where they filmed that, in Irvine, California. Yeah. They did it in Irvine, which was this kind of like 1980s, 1990s futuristic – um, town in Orange County, which has got a university attached, University of California, Irvine's there. Yeah, yeah. And it looks just like that. <laughs> they they did a few tweaks on it, but the t- basically the town centre where all the, the action is is exactly like it is in Demolition Man. It was really fucking weird. I think I've seen it before in another movie. There was that one where they were, they were really hanging shit on Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. And it was one, and they obviously had some sort of. Uh, it was supposed to be obviously a Microsoft, uh, yeah. some fake Microsoft thing. And there was not a Bill Gates movie, but you could see the person was supposed to be a Bill Gates kind of person, and he was putting mm. up these satellites to. And it had Ryan Philippe in it. 
Okay, I think and, I remember one. Yeah, year. and Claire Falani, and um, and obviously he was this little guy, and he was he was in, he was invited to join this this quasi Microsoft kind of uh, software programming thing, and mm. they were all like sending satellites into space so they could you know I don't know murder people from space or some bullshit. Yeah. And yeah, so uh, they, I think they might have used the same set. It was very similar. Yeah, over on California, uh, at least when I went there in 98, I think it was, mm-hmm. was a, a singularly weird place. So we probably should start wrapping this up. Oh, we should. Um, yeah, you know, we've, we've got lives to live and you know, you've got <laughs> the rest of the night to spend without the family. So oh, you can I know, yes. kick back, fart on the couch and enjoy oh, yourself. Oh, I want to watch Cliffhanger now. For some reason, I've been doing mountain cl- rock climbing yeah. lately, so my okay. hands are all torn up, but I want to go see some rock climbing movies. Yeah. But then you're an old cave crawler from way back, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I am, I am. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so um, what are you looking forward to upcoming? <clears throat> oh, well, um, Alien Covenant is coming out, so I'm looking oh, forward to that. Oh, that's what we need. It's a, it seems like another remake of Alien. It's, yeah, I know. I'm I'm just, what are they going to add to it that's not already there? Oh, look, you know, I always like myself an Alien movie. And, okay. you know, um, I am going to see the last stupid Transformers <laughs> uh, I, even though I just sit there and cry all the way through it because it's just so oh, bad and oh my thing. god um, what else there's Spider-Man oh no no hang on look Plan- War for the Planet of the Apes is coming out July yeah. 14 we're going to see that uh, the, I love there's a weird thing with me because I used to like those things end of the world kind of movies mm-hmm. until I got to the age where I thought I'm not going to survive this end of the world I don't like this oh. well because, I've got you know, <laughs> Well, Stephen King's The Dark Tower is coming out. Yep, with That's Idris Elba in it. Yep, yep, and um, something, 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 something. Yeah, well, that's that's another thing looking up for, and I'm just scrolling through here, but I'm not seeing anything that I completely like. So yeah, I, I think mean, I'm looking forward to the Marvel movies and things like that. They're going to be a bit of fun for me and, and yeah. kind of groove on them. I look at um, my comfort watch. I like them. Yeah. I'm actually going to be watching some old musicals because on the next couple of paleo cinemas I'm doing, mm-hmm. I'm getting um, Alyssa and Tansy to do musicals with me. Oh, lovely. So I'm going to be watching some old musicals I haven't watched for a while, including Cabaret. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cabaret. So. Well, you know what's bad? I've always said about horrible one that Christina Aguilera and Cher in it. Uh, burlesque. Oh, what a shocker. I'd, I wouldn't watch that. Oh. Yeah, I mean, once oh, my God. there's an uncanny valley that people get to when they've had too much plastic surgery. Yeah, it was pretty and much that. It, it does freak me out. And, um, yeah, Nicole Kidman's pretty much got there. She's, she's, she's already scary. there, yeah. She's getting scary looking now, which is unfortunate yeah. that people think they have to do that to get acting roles. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, we could go into a whole Hollywood thing about that, but we won't. Anyway, Claire, is there anything you want to plug, promote, or direct people to? Um, no, I actually haven't got anything. I'm kind of in the middle of stuff, so just um, hopefully, yeah, hopefully. Um, send, me the info through, send me the info through when you've got something to plug. Yeah, I'll give you something. All right, that'll be good. Okay, well, thank you very much for being a part of this kind of general waffle about movies and yep. other shit in general. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, and... Um, that's pretty much it. I'm going to leave that now, and I'll roll the credits for the podcast, which are always in the form of movie credits for all the people that support the podcast via Patreon. Oh, thank you. And, um, yeah, and, and thanks again. You've been really great, and I've really enjoyed having a chat. All right. We'll catch you later. You bet. We've got to okay. catch up at some stage. We'll probably be at a party. Yeah, one of Sarah's parties. Oh, undoubtedly. Yep. <laughs> okay, we'll take care. <laughs> cool, cool. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.
And that was that. But uh, anyway, I'm going to roll the credits now. In the meantime, everybody, enjoy yourselves. Have a good time in the chocolate egg time of year. And I will catch you guys in a week or so with another Martian Drive-In and in a fortnight with another Paleo Cinema podcast. Thank you to all of the Patreon subscribers. And here are the credits in the style of movie credits to acknowledge and thank all of them. We have Tom, our focus puller, Sarah, our special effects technician, Ian, our caterer, Grant, our technicolor consultant, Claire, our script doctor, Gary, our prop master, Morris, our music director, Jan, our dialect coach, Armin, our key grip, Matt, our rattlesnake wrangler, Elaine, our scientific advisor, Julia, our casting director, Chris, our camera operator, Christopher, our gaffer, Miss Jane, the wardrobe mistress, Tansy, the foley artist, Alyssa, the location scout, Mark, our second unit director, Paul, our special makeup effects director, Tammy, our donut wrangler, Tim, our New York unit director, Rabbi Steve, our spiritual advisor, Steve, our script doctor, Dylan, our goat wrangler, Eric, our set security lead, Kerry, our second script doctor, Richard, our set photographer, and our extras, Kathleen, Mark, and David. And let's not forget Steve Sullivan, our director of Monster Effects, and Richard C., our transportation co-captain. So thank you very much to all the subscribers, and you too can subscribe at patreon.com slash paleocinema.